John, for those of you who do not know, John came out of this church. His father and mother, his mother's here tonight. His father and mother were here from almost from the beginning. And John, 30 how many years ago? 34 years ago, John went to Germany, to Munich, to start a church. And it's a church through which he brought into, into Europe uh, Kenneth Hagin's books and had a major impact on some of the things that are going on. He may share some with you tonight. But we're always privileged to have him come back. John, we don't need any further in- introduction. Come on up and bless the people. John Angelino. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Come, let's give Jesus the applause tonight. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you that we can be in the house tonight. Stand praying and stand, stay standing and let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you that Mayan and I can be here with our family, with our church family, with our friends, with those who maybe have come tonight seeking a word from you. And Father, we want to thank you in advance that you know us, you know exactly what we need, you know exactly what you've planned and purposed for this congregation. And I ask that you help me tonight to speak simply and accurately and let your blessing flow in this house tonight that we might be a blessing wherever we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. Pastor John has already said we're excited that my mom is here with us. For those of you who don't know me or know my family, um, my mom and dad were here, ushers here for more than 25 years, and my mom just had her 96th birthday. So it's, it's normally not polite to tell a woman's age, But when she looks that good and you're almost 100, unfortunately, they don't do the Smucker's jelly jar anymore, but I'm going to buy her a jar of Smucker's and put her picture on it if she makes that. So when, when we knew we were coming back in September, I called her up and said, Mom, we bought tickets. Mayan and I are coming. That means you can't die. You can't go to heaven until we've come. The tickets are paid for. So... (laughs) We're so grateful to God that we can be together, and I'm so happy that my wife could come with me. This is the first time in almost four years that she's been with me, and that we can be together with you tonight is extra special. I want to get right into what I have in my heart for us tonight, because I feel it's a follow-up of what Pastor John spoke on on Sunday and showed us with these videos. And like he said, if you weren't here on Sunday, you need to look at those DVDs. It's a very smart way of bringing the greatest evangelists that the body of Christ has had in the 20th century to a generation in the 21st century that would otherwise have no way of knowing the great ministry of Billy Graham by taking excerpts of some of his greatest statements and putting it with real-life stories of people today. It's an eye-opener of the power of the gospel. And I hope that what we have to look at tonight out of God's Word will encourage you and help you to assimilate all that God has been saying over the course of the last few years. And you're going to find out that it all is leading in one direction. Um, 
I'm going to be teaching tonight about the subject of balance. Hmm, very interesting. Balance. Actually, balance is the key to having a healthy, strong, vibrant Christian life. Balance in your family. Balance in your work. Balance in your budget. <laughs> balance is a key for us as Christians to understand. And um, I was talking to my dear friend Michael, Michael Yanachilli. You know, Michael and I, back in the old days, see, we were here before most of you were here. Um, back in 1978, when Pastor Sam felt God was leading him to start a church, there was a little Grange Hall. It was, it stunk a beer because they used it to party on Friday night, on Saturday night, and Sunday morning we would get there early, air the place out, and Michael and I would be the music ministry. Piano, guitar, and there comes the redeemed of the Lord, and they come singing unto Zion. Now some of you say, what song is that? That was called praise and worship. And if we rocked it too much, Sam would give us that look and say, you're rocking it, boys. And I became one of the many sons of Sam. Pastor Sam ordained me into the ministry on January 17th, 1982. And I was probably the most um, unlikely candidate to be called to ministry, to be called to a foreign country. And my story is a very simple one. God tricked me. <laughs> he gave me my beautiful wife, and then he said, this was the purpose you're going to her home. She's not staying in your home. And in 1980, when we left and went to Germany, we really did not know what to do. My wife is, was and still is an actress. I was a musician. All we knew was we need to go to Germany. When we got there, God began to speak to us about what he had called us to do. And his directions were very, very specific. He said to me, I've called you to bring the message of faith to the German-speaking people. I thought, God, I'm your first mistake. Um, I don't speak German. I don't even really want to be here. And I've never even gone to Bible school. You need somebody who knows about what to do here. He said, no, I picked you. I'll tell you this little story about the importance of where you are, where God has placed you, where God has planted you. Now, Sam would have never thought that God would call me to do something like that in his natural mind. He just thought I was a crazy ex-rock and roller that got saved and nice guy. And he comes and does the, the music faithfully, but we're not too sure about his stability. <laughs> and, and I kept trying to reach the Hagans and say to the ministry in Tulsa, um, God told me to do this. And they're like, who are you? And I would call and I would call and they just got a new missions director. His name at the time was Stan Abbott. And I called Stan, and this must have been my sixth call, and I kept getting rejected, but I knew what God said. And I said to Stan, I said, Stan, um, God has told me that the predominant way to bring the message of faith to the German-speaking people is through Brother Hagen's books. He said, who are you? And it just popped out of me. I said, I'm not really important. You wouldn't even know me, but you might know my pastor. He said, who's your pastor? I said, Sam Smith. The phone went quiet. I said, what's the problem? He said, Sam is sitting 
across from me right now in my office. I'll call you right back. I got on my knees. <laughs> and he asked Sam. Sam told me later, he asked me, he asked him, he said, who is this guy? He said, well, he's a little crazy. Um, but if he said he's going to do it, he will do it. That's what Sam thought of me. And he thought enough of that in me to place his hands on me and ordain me into the ministry. And that was in 1982. Since then, we have seen God change nations. What you've seen over the last 25 years in our part of the world, the Berlin Wall coming down, that was the result of a little book that was called The Authority of the Believer that we brought out in German. Later, we helped Jim Caseman with Russian, then later into Romanian, then later into Turkish, and later into Hungary. When the truth of who we are in Christ hit the body of Christ behind the Iron Curtain, the world changed. It wasn't the arms race and it wasn't the great strategy of President Reagan and all the rest of it. I'm telling you, the body of Christ began to do something. To pray and to rise up. And we've seen that. We're seeing the next phase of this. And I know it's a great controversy in what's going on right now in Germany. We have one point over 1.2 million refugees. But you see, we've been praying for the Muslim world. We've been active as a church doing evangelistic outreaches for the last 12 years in Pakistan. And God has opened tremendous doors. People are getting saved. Muslims are coming to Christ. We're praying and God sends the Muslim world to us. Don't ever underestimate the wisdom of God. Many shy away. And I know it's done with, there's much danger in all this. But I do know this, just like communism fell and the doors opened for the gospel in the Muslim world, the doors are opening for the gospel. Keep on praying. Keep on trusting God for great things in our generation. And it's time for us as the church to understand what true balance is all about. Last night when I was telling my friend Michael about the subject I was going to preach on, he, Michael said something interesting and it made me think. He said, well, every step you take has to be in balance. And I thought about that and I went, okay, I think I need to study the word balance a little bit more. And you know what I found out? The word balance literally means this. It means the ability to maintain the line of gravity, which is a vertical line going directly through your center, combined with a horizontal line of sway. And when those two things are lined up, you stand upright. I wish we had time to study the promises of God of the upright. You see, you'll never walk upright in God because uprightness is not about perfection. Uprightness is a balanced life. Actually, if you think about it, when we talk about the vertical and the, and the horizontal, it's a crucified life. It's a life that's identified with the cross. Understanding the plan and purpose of God. Now, I want to speak specifically about congregational balance. But you can apply this to your own life. But I felt so impressed on Sunday, watching those videos, hearing Pastor John about this desire, using something that everybody relates to. I mean, I was raised as an Italian. We were good Catholics. And we went to church 
twice a year. We went on Christmas Eve and we went on Easter. And preferably Christmas Eve at midnight mass so I could see all the drunk people in the back of the church. I thought that was funny. When you're five years old, you know, you get a kick out of it. But an understanding of the gospel was not in our lives at that time. But we would always think about going to church on Easter or at Christmas. And why not use such opportunities to reach people who may never come to a place where God can touch their lives, but out of tradition, they'll come on those days. But there's a greater truth behind just let's try to do some kind of outreach in what is in John's heart and what in those videos are made available as tools to help you to reach out. And so I want to show you some things I learned about balance. For us as a church, we came into something in December that I still am understanding in my own heart. Something opened up in the heavenlies, and we're walking in it, and it's affecting whether it be the size and the depth at the same time of our congregation. And God led me to the scripture in Isaiah. And I want to begin there because we're going to see something about balance here. It's right after that great chapter where Isaiah shows us in chapter 53 what happened at the cross. And what happened because Jesus went there for you and for I. And it begins in chapter 54 with this statement. Sing, O ye barren, that thou didst not bear. Break forth unto singing and cry aloud that thou did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. So the first thing he says is, you who have no reason to rejoice, you need to learn to rejoice. That's the first thing you need to know. Rejoicement here is, rejoicing here is not a suggestion. Suggestion. It is a mandate. Rejoice. And you think about what Paul said, sitting in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. James said, count it all joy when you fall into divers' troubles. Why? Because knowing that the trying of your faith will work in you, patience. And when patience has her perfect work, you'll be mature. You'll learn how to receive from God. Now he goes on to say here, Enlarge the place of thy tent. Now, everybody, every Christian wants to identify with this. Enlarge. Bigness. Growth. But watch what he says. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch out the curtains of thy inhabitants. But the thought's not over and here comes balance. Spare not. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Say that with me. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. One more time. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Balance. If you don't do both, you might enlarge the the wall of the tent, but when the first storm comes, that tent's coming down. Bigness is not always the best. If proper steps are not done to have balance in the growth, if you don't reach out this way, and go depth-wise this way in God, you will never maintain what God desires to give you. And I think it's going to answer some questions for you tonight about why 
the, the Spirit of God will seem to emphasize the importance of depth. Depth of the word, depth in prayer, depth in understanding the Holy Ghost. And at the same time, we need to reevaluate the culture of our church. Now, let me define what culture means. Culture is not just ballet. Culture is anything a group of people deem worthy of adoration or worship. That's culture. Every church has a culture. Every group of people have a culture. Sam found out that New Englanders did not have the same culture as Texans. And he lived here all his life as a foreigner. And he did his best to convert us to Texasism. (laughs) And he didn't do a good job of that. Thank God he was better with the gospel. He tried though. (laughs) He surely tried. But you see... Every church has a culture. And it's important to evaluate what is our culture? What is important to us? And here's where balance plays a pivotal role. Because if we're to walk upright as a people of God, we need to walk in balance. And when I say balance, I don't talk about faith and unbelief mixed together. No. The whole word of God stresses The balance between, for example, grace and truth. There's a lot of talk today about grace, but let's not get too heavy on the truth stuff. Or you have people that only want to talk about truth, but there's very little grace in anything they have to say. Jesus came to bring us grace and truth. Or, for example, the Bible talks about knowledge, but what did Paul say about Israel? They had knowledge, but not, they had a, excuse me, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So zeal's important today. Young people, man, they want to be passionate. They need passion. But I'll tell you one thing. If they don't couple their passion with knowledge. Now something's going on in our part of the world with young people that's amazing. Started a number of years ago. Actually, it started 20 years ago in a youth group in this church in Stuttgart, dear friends of ours. And something happened those six years ago when it just went boom. They didn't really do anything different. But young people came, so many, that they had to close the church because the fire marshals came. Now, it's not a little church. The church seats two and a half thousand, and they got a place for a thousand in the foyer. And there was 4,000 kids in there, and the fire marshals closed the meeting. So they said, we got to take this out of the church. That was God. They started filling auditoriums. And I remember my wife and I, a couple of years ago, we just felt led on a Saturday morning. We need to go to this. It's called Holy Spirit Night. Now, you have to understand, Marcos, who now is in charge of this, he's the son of the pastor. Peter Vence is the pastor. And I knew Marcos as a rug rat when he used to come to our conferences, run around as a little kid. Now he's 33 years old. God is using him, and we're sitting in the back, and there's 11,000 kids. I mean, the house is rocking. And I'm sitting way in the back feeling like, I feel over 60, don't I? And I'm thinking, this feels, and I have to understand, my friend's sons are preaching. Marcos, Joshua McCauley, Ray McCauley's son, uh, Harrison uh, Bayless Conley's son. These are my friends. 
And it's their kids, but they're all now 30. And they're doing it, and I'm sitting back there thinking, you know what, 30 years ago, that was us. 30 years ago, when we had the first faith conference and 5,000 people would come in a week, we were only in our early 30s. We were rocking the nation. And now God's doing it again. And I'm sitting back there, and I thought to my, my second thought was, I guess, Lord, the baton is passed on. I can sit back. And the Lord said, you have a job to do. He said, this generation has a zeal and a passion for God. But if they don't get the spirit of faith, if they don't couple it with the right knowledge of God, this will not last. And I sat up and said, okay. And I realized all that we've learned up to this time is for that which God wants to do today and tomorrow for the next generation. They need balance. Now, let's look at this. Lengthen the cords, strengthen the stakes. Um, there's a passage of scripture in the Beatitudes I want to look at with you. It's where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, and we're going to look at each one separately very quickly. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In this one statement here, you are the salt, you are the light. There is a call to balance. That balance being, you must lengthen the cords, reaching out, and you must strengthen those stakes. Lengthen the cords, strengthen. Strengthen the stakes. You must do both. Being salt has an effect in the church and out of the church. Being light has an effect in the house and the city set on the hill. You see, we operate and live in two worlds at the same time. We're in this world, but not of this world. And the church has a difficult time either going for one or the other. I remember listening to Brother Hagin years ago, and he would say, he would pray as a young minister, Lord, help me to stay in the middle of the road. Not to the right, not to the left, because you end up in a ditch on either side. What did God tell Joshua? Turn not to the right, not to the left. A lot of people turn to the right, right or turn to the left. Do you know, right of the Bible talks about wisdom. Wisdom is the, is the principal thing. He said, to the right of wisdom, to the right of wisdom, you have length of days, and to the left of wisdom, riches and honor. Now, divine health and long life is great. Prosperity and, and favor is great. But if you go after those things, you miss the place of balance that keeps you upright. If you've got the uprightness, if you've got the balance, you'll have both coming into your life because that's what wisdom brings. That's what balance will bring. So let's look at this. The first one we want to look at is salt. I discovered something, and I preached this here years ago, but it bears repeating this, uh, this evening. 
I was studying one time in the book of Leviticus, and it had to be God because it's not a book that you run to to study. But I was reading in Leviticus, and I was, I was studying some things about the old law, and this is what I found in chapter 2, verse 13. In every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant. And I stopped. The salt of the covenant? And it caught my attention. I had never heard that before. You shall not allow the salt of, your God, uh, of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall. Another translation said, you must offer salt. Well, now God had my attention, so I started to dig a little deeper. Numbers 18, verse 19. With all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Now that's a long time. It is a covenant of salt forever. Listen to that. A covenant of salt forever. I went, I never heard about a covenant of salt. So I began to investigate, what does this mean? Listen to what I found out. There's an Arab expression called, there is salt between us. Or, he has eaten of my salt, which means partaking of hospitality, which cements friendship. Salt represents friendship, loyalty, and trust. In making a covenant, in the ancient days, it was never absent. And then I discovered this, Finnings Jennings Dake said, the covenant of Saul pictured the everlasting friendship of God and his people. Now, are you ready for this? Let me read Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 in the light of what we read from the Message Bible. Pastor John, listen to this opening statement. Let me tell you why you're here. I think the pastor's been talking a lot about the purpose of the church. Why are we here? Listen to this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be the salt seasonings that bring out the God flavors of this earth. What are the God flavors? Friendship, loyalty, and trust. If you lose your saltiness, now how many of you have ever eaten salt that didn't taste like salt? I know there's different grades of salt. My wife wants to jump up right away and fight for her salt. She loves special salts. But salt is salty. And you ask yourself, how can salt lose its taste? Well, when you understand what salt represents, now we know what he's talking about. How can we lose the salt when we lose this character of friendship Loyalty and trustworthiness. If you lose your saltiness, excuse me, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Someone once said, if this world isn't thirsty enough for God, perhaps it's because the church isn't salty enough. 
Or think of what David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, our lives should portray the character that salt represents. Friendliness, that's coupled with kindness. Loyalty and trustworthiness. You and I are called to be salt towards God. You and I are called to be salt towards one another. I know that's calling for a big miracle. But you know what's amazing? God said, if you don't bring salt with your offering, don't bring your offering at all. Wow. If our character doesn't portray faithfulness, loyalty, and friendship, then our offering that we bring, no matter what it may be, our song, our money, our time, is not reaching heaven. God said, bring salt with your offering. We need to learn to be salt towards one another, but here's a big thing. This started to change the culture of our church. We need to be salt to the earth. And when he said that, what do we think of? Adam was called in the beginning ruddy, earth. He's not talking about the geographical earth around us. He's talking about the people who live on the earth, who came originally from, their bodies came from the earth. We need to be salt to people who don't deserve it. Jesus was salt to his generation. He was friendly. He was kind. He was trustworthy. He was loyal. Now, what am I talking about? Strengthen, lengthen those cords. We need to have a culture that is willing and ready and able to be salt. Now, don't think about salt as a wound that you've opened up with your words and you're going to rub it in there so it hurts real good. That's not what he wants. He wants us to represent the friendliness, the kindness, the goodness, the trustworthiness, the loyalty of God. So people through your life can say, I tasted and saw and experienced the goodness of God. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. But at the same time, we need to drive those stakes deep. Look at what the Bible says about the next verse with light. You are the light of the world, verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a candle to, uh, to then hide it away, but rather you set it in a holder to give light to all in the house. Light is light. But it's where it's shining that's important for us. The one is a city set on a hill that everybody can see. Do you know what that is? That's light into this world. Being light into this world. At the same time, we have a candle in the house. The church is called the house of God. We need to be light in both places. We need to be salt. In the house and out of the house. We need to be light in the house and out of the house. We need to understand the importance 
of balance. And I want to close with showing you this from the scriptures. We need to learn how to press into the power and the glory of God in the house. That's part of being light. And yet we need to learn how to be that city on the hill that can win people for God through our lifestyle, through what we represent, through the way we do what we do. You see this in the Apostle Paul's life. This helped me to understand a lot of what God's been speaking to our hearts. One of the things that happened, we went through a very challenging time in the year 2011, 2012 as a church. And one of the things it caused for us to do, and any time you go through a difficult time, the positive thing of a difficult time is it gives you a chance to reevaluate, readjust your culture. What's important? What's really important? When things are going good, you can be so busy doing good things that you lose perspective of the God things. And sometimes the cage has to get rattled so that as everything's settling, you can look around and see what really is of substance and what really is not necessary. And one of the things that happened was we decided one of the things we were doing, we were so busy, and all our busy stuff was good. It was all for the kingdom. But one of the things that we were neglecting was a real heartfelt time of prayer for the church. So you know what we did? We decided, Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. So we said, this house is open every night for prayer. That was in 2012. We haven't stopped yet. Every night, Monday through Friday, church is open for prayer. And on Sunday mornings, we have prayer with a prayer team before the church service starts. And sometimes it'll be a small group. Sometimes it'll be surprising a lot of, group, a lot of people. And what we've begun new this year is we have one Friday night a month. That's where we all come out. We pray and we fast. Ah! I can't fast. Yes, you can. Shut your mouth. Don't let nothing in. Very simple. You can do it. And we wait on God. And we might worship or we might be quiet. We might come to the front. We might get on our face before God. We realize that we are not going to have the effect we desire in being light and salt in the world if we don't have the depth of the Spirit of God in the house. We need both. When we started to walk some of these things out, I'm talking about 25 years of history for us. When God started to speak to our hearts about doing certain things, we really didn't even know where that journey was going to take us. We just knew it was God. When my wife felt that she should start again with her acting and eventually became a, a college for performing arts and a, and a theater and a traveling company that goes and brings the gospel through performing arts. When we were doing that, you know, seeker services weren't even heard of. We were simply going to where people were and touching them with the truth of the gospel. A lot of people in the church world didn't understand it. They didn't get what was going on. But you see, there's this constant pull for balance. You must lengthen those cords. 
We are called to be salt in this earth. We are called to show forth the friendliness, kindness, and goodness of God. But we are also called to be light in the house. We need the depth of the Holy Spirit. The depth of God's presence when we come together. And you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. I want to show you this from Corinthians. You know, when Paul came to Corinthians, he had been very frustrated. You can read this in the book of Acts. He went to Mars Hill. He gave a great speech. He talked about the unknown God. He spoke with much wisdom. And you don't really know if anybody got saved. They found it interesting. They said, next week we'd like to hear you again. And Paul, I'm sure, was very moved. So he goes down. If you read the book of Acts, the next place he goes from Athens, he travels to Corinth. Now listen to what he says in Corinth. He comes to Corinth and he says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with an excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined. It's not that he didn't know anything else. He made a choice. For I determined... Not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul says, we came, we established this church by the depth and the power of the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And a great church was established. But watch this. Nine chapters later, he says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I am free and dependent on no one. But that I might win many for Christ, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the Jews for God. I live as a Jew. And where there are those who try to follow the law precisely, I live also like that. Although the law has no more power over me. I want to win even these people. If I'm with people who don't live by any law, then I fit in with them. Then I might win them for Christ. This doesn't mean I live apart from the law of God, but rather I follow the law of Christ. When I'm with those whose faith is weak and unsure, I am careful to do nothing that would cause them to stumble, no matter who it is. I bring myself on their level that I might in every way possible save some. Now, when we hear these things, we sometimes think this is a contradiction. I learned this a long time ago. It was Brother Hagin that said it. He said, when you're reading and studying the Bible, it's like climbing a mountain. And depending on which vantage point you begin to climb, your perspective is going to be totally different. It's the same mountain of truth. It's just if you climb from the north side, what you're going to be looking at is the northern area. You climb from the southern side, it's the same truth, but your perspective is different. I believe in this one book, Paul gave us a very clear picture of lengthening those cords I become all things to all men. I'm being salt in the earth. I'm showing people the friendliness, the kindness, the goodness of God. And yet in the house, I am that candle 
that's on the candlestick giving light in the house. I'm letting that stake be driven deep. I'm calling to prayer. I'm calling to search for God. I'm coming together with other believers that we together collectively can press in to where God wants us to be. Because out of that fullness, am I truly salt? Am I truly light out there? Too often, we're trying to bring the church to the world. Do you know what? The church is a mystery. The world don't understand the church. Jesus is who we need to be bringing to the world. We need to understand church in here, but the world needs Jesus. My prayer for you tonight is that some of you who have been swayed, see, people who are not balanced, Sway with every new wave that comes. And there's always good in all these different waves. But as soon as the wave that you catch pulls you in one direction and you get out of balance, you can't stand upright anymore. It might feel good for a moment. It might be okay for an inch for a little season. But God wants you to walk upright in life. And in order to walk upright in life, you've got to stay balanced. You've got to have that Vertical and that horizontal. You have to have that crucified life. That means I identify with Christ. And I learn what it means to lengthen those cords and let God use me outside the church, identify with people, win people's hearts because they sense the friendliness, the kindness, the goodness of God through my own testimony, through my own actions. And in the house, I want to be that bright candle. In that house, I want to be one of those stakes that God is driving down with a depth. I know where I'm planted. And we deep in, dig, dig deep into God. And we know the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And it's not complicated. Paul said, I determined to not know anything else except for Christ and him crucified. It's not complicated. He is the answer. He is the answer. And so whether we're reaching out as a community or we're digging deep, we understand that both are important. The, the challenge is to know when to do what? I'll end with this. I've referred a number of times tonight to Brother Hagen because he, his ministry has given me so much in life and it's given our part of the world so much. The last time that I know of that he had a visitation of the Lord, they made a book about it called Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. Totally changed the way I felt I needed to do the work of a pastor as I had been doing it. I began to look critically at everything we were doing in a positive way. What is the purpose of what we're doing when we're doing it? And I stopped trying to do everything all the time. And I found that if we would get the purpose of God for a Wednesday night, for a Friday night, for a Sunday morning, and if I was going to make changes because I want to see certain things done, then what can I do to make up for those changes? See, we used to have services that went hours because they were a prayer meeting and they were a worship meeting and they were a teaching conference and they were all in one. And we want the lost to come. Challenging. 
So I started to say, wait a minute, we have to look at this. What is the purpose? And you know what we found out? We started to say, well, if we're going to do more of this, then we need to do less of this, but we don't want to lose that, so we're going to do, we started to do praise nights. So the church can come and praise God. That was what we were going to do. We're going to worship God. So don't expect on a Sunday morning it's a praise night. It's not a praise night. Praise is an important part of the service, but it's not a praise night. We need to teach. If we don't teach, how can people get grounded? We started a Bible school for the church and made it so that they could come. And people come. And I can teach. And others in the ministry can teach. And we have systematic teaching. The greatest challenge I found was what does God want us to do when we're doing it? And one of the greatest things we learned was in our part of the world, Good Friday. Now, I don't know many churches around here. I don't know who does a service on Good Friday. But years ago, someone came with the idea, and I thought, that's pretty crazy. Good Friday, who does a service on Good Friday? All right, we'll try it. We have hundreds. We have so many come that we have to do one on Thursday, because Thursday with us is a holiday as well. Thursday night, because we can't get them all in, and Friday afternoon, we have two services for Good Friday. And the people come in, and I think, where did all these people come from? And my wife does a creative service. It's always something different, but it's always the same message. What an opportunity. And then we, we have something to eat after for discussions so people can hang out a little bit, and we invite them all to come to an Easter celebration. And on Easter celebration, we throw the net out. I pray for the church. Pray for the guests that are here. Wherever you go to church, balance in your own life will cause you to walk upright. Balance for a congregation will cause you to thrive. And it's constant. Michael said this to me last night, and it really hit me. With every step you take, you must realign your balance. It's not something that you can get out of a book and say, this is the plan. You see, we like the plan to follow because somebody else didn't look. It doesn't happen that way. We can glean from one another. We can be inspired from one another. But every step you take, I read today about balance. Standing still is a matter of balance. Wow. Be still and know I'm God. You need balance for that. So whatever you do, ask God for the balance. Are we lengthening the the courts, are we driving the stakes down? Are we being salt in the church and towards God? Or are we being salt in the world? Are we being light out there, city set on a hill? Paul said, hey, all things to all men. Or am I being here in the church, the light, where I determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified and the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost? What a challenge we have. If you think it's not exciting walking with Jesus, you never really know what's coming next, but he'll show you one step at a time. Keep the balance. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the promise that you have given to the upright. You had said we'd be blessed. You had said light will come in the darkness for the upright. 
You said that you would lead us and guide us. And you've called us to live a life that's upright towards you and towards others. So help us to grasp this great truth of lengthening those cords and strengthening and driving those stakes deep as we're salt, as we're light in the earth, in the world, and in the church and before you. So Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And I pray that tonight, anybody who came here who didn't feel upright, who didn't feel like they could stand straight, thank you that you lift them up tonight and begin to show them what true balance will look like in their walk and their life. And show them their place and your purpose. If it be in this house, that it be in this house, Father to be a blessing, and to let blessing flow to others. You have said, you, we will break forth on all sides. And the Gentiles would come to the nation of Israel. That means people that aren't like us. And I say, Father, let it come. Let it come and help us to embrace those that are not like us. So that they can meet you. Because that is what makes the difference. In Jesus' name.